Hi everyone, so tonight we're going to continue and I'm maybe going to end off with, with this on this topic um, of Matthew 21 where we went and we, if you looked in your Bible you will see we tonight at Matthew 22 it's the next thing in your Bible as we went through it so tonight it's about the wedding feast it's the next parable in that Matthew, from Matthew 21 to Matthew 22. All right, so let's start with that. So everything we've done up to now has led up to the wedding feast. So if you can remember, let's see here. We first had the triumphal entry when Jesus was sitting on the donkey. Jesus cleansed the temple. Jesus cursed the fig tree. The authority of Jesus challenged, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, and the wedding. See what number is the wedding? It's number seven. We're in the seventh day, the third day and the seventh day. It speaks about what's to come, the wedding. Question. Are you, as you are sitting here, married to Christ or not yet now? Or are you going to get married one day when he comes? We haven't spoken about it a lot, but uh, you're already married. Two becomes one when you choose him. You are already married. In the Jewish culture, when they had the wedding, once the wedding ceremony is done the couple goes to a room, a house there at the place and they go in and the feast, the wedding feast may only begin when they come out and that can take how many days was that were they in that room and they were all waiting outside to see if this wedding if there was blood And only then did the feast start, the wedding festival start. Something to remember. When Jesus comes, he's coming for his bride because you're already married to him. That's why a relationship is so important. Because you cannot marry if you don't have love. You cannot walk in a marriage if you don't have love. So you're already one with him. All right. So here, remember all these things we did went through here. How he chooses the people that he's going to do what with. How he cleanses you the temple. How he takes away the curse of the fig tree, which we so struggle to believe that we, the curse is taken off us. The sins are taken off you. You're going to get challenged in your walk. Then we went through the parables. And remember he told these parables to the Pharisees and the scribes, to the religious leaders. And guess what? Matthew 22, when you're going to read it now, he gives them another one. Can you imagine those guys standing there, questioning Jesus, asking, by what power did you do this? Whose authority are you doing this? And here, I think it's going to be the what? How many is it? Here they challenge Jesus. Here's number one. Two. It's, a, it's the third parable he's, he's throwing at them because of that question they asked him. Every time he didn't answer them, remember, he didn't answer them in the previous one. He gave them another parable. 
And here now he's going to give them another parable. He's not finished with them yet, with these religious people. Do you see the intent of how he challenges religion? He wasn't very um, polite here in that sense. He was actually directly challenging the religious system of that day. Not deliberately not answering their question and throwing all these things at him to show. Remember last time we spoke, he showed them that they were the problem. And they realized that when he did those to the two sons uh, in, in, that had the, the vineyard. And he, he, they, he said at the end of it, and they realized that he's speaking of them being the bad ones. When the, when, remember the, the servants got killed and eventually they killed the son of the owner of the field. And then when they finish, it says, and they realize he's talking about them. So he's, he's, he's like you today, telling a pastor or a reverend or a dominie or whatever, all these things of how they are operating in the wrong. But you're using these parables to, to show them how they are wrong. And then they realize, but you're actually telling them they're wrong. They're not going to want to take it. These guys were also not very open to take it, but he was throwing it at them. He didn't give them a chance. He just threw it back at them, the question that they gave him. So as we are where we are to, in our life, we are waiting to attend the wedding feast. Because remember what I said? I've said it so many times. First, there needs to be bridal. Remember I said first, bride, marriage, love, then sonship, work. You cannot do the work if you're not in love. You first need to be in love to do the work for him, to function as the bride. It cannot be the other way. It can't be first a son and then go and marry. All right? You understand that? Why the one is before the other one? But yeah, here Jesus is throwing Matthew 22 in their face. Again, and not answering their question, giving them something else to think about of how they're in the wrong. These Pharisees and scribes, the religious people of the system of that day. So in Matthew 22, verse 1, I'm going to read here. And Jesus answered and spoke unto them again. See, it says again he's going to talk to them. By parables. And said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. You see, every time there's a son in it. Do you notice that? Every parable is a son. He has a king that's, that's throwing this marriage, a wedding. He says there, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king. Kingdom. Kingdom is Basileia. It's a realm, a reign. It's not a place kingdom with a king functioning in according to that kingdom's rules if you want to call it that way Basileia he's talking about that kingdom what's going on in the kingdom the rulership whose rulership his rulership how he functions in the kingdom because remember Jesus came every time he said the kingdom is near the kingdom is at hand the kingdom, the kingdom. John the Baptist started and said the kingdom. It's about that way of rulership, how things are. It's not a place. All right? 
And send forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. So they're inviting people, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready come unto the marriage. So this king is inviting people to this wedding feast. Do you notice the first group doesn't even say anything, they just don't come? You see, it says nothing about them there. They just don't come. It's today, you see it a lot, especially when you, you talk about the gospel to somebody. Have you noticed sometimes when you talk to somebody about the gospel, they just don't say anything, they just don't care. Doesn't hit them, they don't, doesn't phase them, they just don't care. So many are like that today. The second group is, yeah, but not now. Yeah, but busy. Not now, we're a bit busy. But he said, are two separate invitations. I mean, even in this one, look at the food they're giving here. Do you notice it's oxen, fatlings are killed? It's meat. He's giving them meat at this wedding. Specific meat. What is meat? It's spiritual food that you need. Meat. In the spirit, we're not talking about the literal meat. Like he said to the lady of the well, the meat that I have to give you. Huh? Meat. It's talk, it talks about that spiritual food that you need. Substance. Solid food that can make you strong. He's giving that at the wedding. But they don't want to come. Verse 5 and 8. But they made light of it. And went their ways, one to his farm, other to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and uh, entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then said he to the servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Do you see telling the story? To the religious people. Telling them these people that were invited, they were not worthy to come. But he's saying the wedding is ready. Those that had it easy, got invited, gave them everything, said come, they chose not to come. They were busy with their daily life, business, um, all the normal daily stuff kept them busy. They were not hearing the call to come to the wedding. They were too busy with their daily life. But note something here. He's only calling, sending out his servants. Who's he instructing to bring in the people? His servants. Not everybody else. Only the servants could hear the king saying, go get them, go get them. He's giving the instructions to the service. Nobody else is getting it to come to the wedding. Verse 9. Go ye therefore into the highways as many as ye shall find, but to the marriage. So these servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they could find, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. 
And when the king came in to seize the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. All right, see the picture. There's this banquet hall full of people now. How did they get these people? They said they shall find them. He said, both good people and bad people. All right? And they came. Isn't that what Jesus did? Even? Who's the ones that listened to him? The sinners. The prostitutes. Who's the ones that turned their back on him and killed him? The Pharisees, the religious system of the day. The ones he's talking to here. Giving the story. Think of today. Think of it in today. Will it be any different today? It will not be any different today. If it happened today. The same thing will still happen today. But here he goes and says, people of the street, bring them. And they came. The poor. But here we see, he says the there's a guy that's not wearing his, his wedding garment. So in this banquet hall, there's all these people that's got their wedding garments on. And I remember, these people went, they picked them up on the streets. So did they have wedding garments? No. They didn't have time to go rent one or buy one. It's the poor, the bad, the ugly. They received the wedding garments at the wedding. All right? Everyone that attended the wedding received his wedding garment at the door. That's how it worked. This guy didn't put his on. So he received one at the door, but he chose not to put it on. Everybody got one as they come in. He did not put his on. So they didn't have opportunity to go buy stuff or get stuff. But this wedding robe is a picture, or this garment is a picture of righteousness that grace provides us. I'm going to say it again. This robe is a picture of righteousness which grace gives us. I'm going to read you the scripture now. The man without the wedding garment had one provided to him at the door as he came in. Um, but yeah, he chose not to put it on. And I said, yeah, a change is necessary for our king provides garments of white linen for us to wear our wedding garments. It takes a change from you when you enter. You've got to will be willing to change, not stay the way you are when you enter. It's necessary to change. Isaiah 52 verse 1 says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Who's Zion? You. You are Zion. Put on your, thy beautiful garments. O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Revelations 19.8 And to her was granted that she should bear arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. That's what you receive, that garment you receive at the wedding. His righteousness, no? it's not your righteousness, it's his righteousness that we receive. Matthew 22. And he says unto him, Friend, how comes thou in hither not having a wedding garment? 
And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servant, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's throwing him out of the, the wedding festival. For many are called, but few are chosen. That's one of the most contradicting verses in the Bible, that one. People want to have huge issues about that. What, what does that mean? And there's so many theories on what does that mean and all that. It says, for many are called. Many. Multitudes are called. But few are chosen. It's something to think about. How, how are you chosen? What makes it that you are chosen? Think of it in the storyline here. We're talking about a wedding. Does a, a man just take any wife he wants? Or does he choose the one he loves by the love they have he chooses? That's how the Lord doesn't choose us by who he likes more than the other. You get chosen by your love you have for your bridegroom. Just like in the natural. You will not marry a guy if you don't love him. Love makes you choose that person to spend your life with that person because of the love. There were other boyfriends or girlfriends in your life maybe before that. But you chose the one because of the love that's there. But here where it says, for many are called, the Lord calls on us. It can be all of us, everybody, many. Many doesn't make it just a group, a specific group. But we like the first two, remember, go to what he's saying here. Look at the many, what does the many do? They don't even answer him when he invites them. The second group, now we're too busy with our daily work, our daily stuff we're busy with. They were called, were they not? They were called, like he says here. But they chose not to come. The ones that were chosen, the ones that came. It says that his hand and foot were bound. It speaks about works. Your hands is what you work with. So that all that all the works that that person's doing, everywhere he's walking, is stopped. He's not functioning according to that anymore. How many times were the servants sent out? To come to the feast. Three times. See? Speaks about the third day again. The seventh day. Remember we said seventh. This is the seventh thing of Matthew 21. It starts with the feast. It's the seventh one. The wedding. The third day. Three times. Three years. Three days. Three thousand years after the cross. We are called to what after three days? To the wedding fest. To come. Many are called to come but so many choose busy, don't care and on the third day what does he do? He speaks to his servants to call and he will even ask his servants to call the good and the bad I'm talking about the day of the Lord where are you going to find the people in the church? no they were already called they did not come because he's talking to the religious people here. He's making a point to the religious people to show them how hard their hearts are. 
Because remember, the Pharisees and scribes, he's talking to them. He's giving them the story. He's pointing the, everything to them. Like he did the first two that we did before this. The first two parables before this. Every time he points to them being the ones that's in the wrong. And he's continuing here. He's saying to them, they're actually the first two groups. They were very busy with what? The religious stuff. It meant zero. They could not come to the wedding feast because all the... You can be the praise and worship leader. You can even be the pastor and you're too busy with everything and you're not in a relationship with the Lord and it means nothing. You're not invited to the festival. It's hard, but it, it, it is what it is. Because remember, it's a marriage. There's love. We have so many excuses when it calls of, no, it's not my personality to do this. I'm telling you now, this has got nothing to do with anybody's personality when he calls you to do what you need to do. Your personality plays zero role for the Lord. That's your excuse. It's got nothing to do with the personality or what type of person you are. God's going to use us, the weak people, that can't do it. He needs us. You're the only ones He's got to do it with. He will give you the ability. You won't be able to do it. He will give you the ability to do what needs to be done. It's got nothing to do with you feel like it or your personality, anything like that, like where you throw excuses. He's going to use the broken to heal the world. And He will do the healing. He just needs us to be the hands and feet. You are all He's got. Think about it for a second. Let that sink in. You're all He's got. So if you have excuses, who else is going to use then to do this work? Or are you like the first two saying, um, I'm too busy in my workplace or whatever the case may be. Yeah, you're going to work. I'm talking about when the day of the Lord comes and calls you. What are you going to say then when the wedding feast is ready? This is all preparation time for that when that time comes and what we are walking and doing. But you are going to get called to do stuff. Like we said here, he's preparing you, he's calling the donkeys, preparing the donkeys, cleaning the temples. You're going to get challenged by the religious people. You're going to get challenged by, not the sinners. You know, with all these things are bad, the normal guys here didn't they do anything bad here. It's all the religious people that did the bad stuff. And you can say, oh, Vanner, but it's not the same today. It's exactly the same today. If you say that, you haven't been open about what you believe in front of other Christians. Otherwise, you would not answer it that way. That just means you've never spoken to other Christians of what you believe. That's why you've never been challenged with them. Remember last time I said it's our difficulty is to explain to somebody what you believe. Go try and explain what you believe to somebody that's in a church system. And see if they're going to take what you say. See their reaction. How they're going to struggle to understand what you're saying. If you say stuff. You don't even have to say stuff like, I don't believe in the rapture. I don't believe in tithing. All that. So just explain to them what you believe. And you're going to see, you're going to, they're going to look at you as if you are from a different planet. But that you will only see when you stand up and talk about the Lord in the open. But he's going to call you, and like I said, you are all that he's got, and he needs you. He so desperately needs us in a way that we are willing to submit as a servant 
because that's what a servant does to the master, to the king. I want to tell you a story quickly. I heard this many years ago and I forgot about it, then I heard it again. I thought it would be good to share. It ties in with what we spoke about, about this, what this parable was all about. It's about this guy. We've heard about him, Telemachus. He is Saint Telemachus, actually. The Roman Catholics have a day for him. Remember I taught you about Saint Putini, the lady at the well. Remember that? You should know about Saint Putini by now. The lady at the well that did so much for the Lord. She's not in the Bible, but none of that stuff is written in the Bible, but it's caught up in history books and about the Saint Putini. Now this is Telemachus. In the 4th century, he was a monk. And he was apparently very short, short of stature, this monk. He was known as a person that loved to pray for, to the Lord and tend to his vegetable garden. That he did in his monastery. That's what he loved to do. He lived in this monastery and that's all he did. Day in, day out, pray and tend to his vegetable garden. Until one day, Jesus spoke to him. And Jesus told him, I need you to do something for me. He said, I had work for you to do in Rome. No, this is a monk staying his whole life in his monastery, praying and attending, and he's asked to go to Rome. It's like taking somebody in the freaking Karoo here in a little town and asking them to go to Joburg. It's like, no. I'm, especially, I'm living here where I'm living because there's nobody bugging me. I'm on my own. Now I must go to a place where there's extremely, a lot of people and uh, it's extremely busy. But Jesus called him to, to do that. So he came to a decision and he decided he's going to leave his monastery and go to this busy capital of Rome. So he decided to take this journey. Arriving at Rome, he was shocked to see how many people there were. Um, the hustle and bustle, it was, I mean, for him, he, he's not used to it, he hasn't seen it. He was living in his monastery. As he was walking, he came to a big building, probably the biggest one he's ever seen, and it's called the Colosseum. He did not know what it is, this Colosseum. And as he looked into this building, he heard the swords and the shields clashing inside this, this big building. And it was when engaged with combat, you know, gladiators engaged with combat that he heard inside. Um, the gladiators would stand in front of the emperor and say that um, we are about to die. And they would salute him as God. Before each fight, that's what they would do, the custom. The gladiators would stand and they would say to the emperor that we are about to die, salute you, O God. And I mean, you know, only one will step out of that Colosseum then alive after that battle, if two of them were engaged. It's to the death, those battles. So when this monk, this small little guy, small stature, was standing there and he saw all of this, 
taking place, he got troubled. He began to shout out, in the name of Christ, forbear. And he kept shouting, in the name of Christ, forbear. You know what forbear means? Stop this. He started shouting this out. But no one heard him. He went closer and still shouted, in the name of Christ, forbear. Stop this. And again, nobody would hear me. I mean, you know, those Colosseums were extremely loud as the people were, were busy with, with shouting and everything, the entertainment. Lately, he was standing so close that the people that heard him started laughing at him. And they thought it was part of the show, that this guy was shouting this stuff. Or they thought it was part of the entertainment. But he kept shouting this out. Um, he, was, he jumped into the Colosseum. He went in. He went to the gladiators and he said to them again. And the one guy apparently knocked him over with his shield. And he kept saying, forbear, in the name of Christ, forbear. Until someone in the Colosseum apparently shouted, run him through, kill him. The crowds that were looking at this taking place. So the one that hit him with a shield placed his uh, sword below Telemachus' neck and opened him up from chest to stomach. As he fell to his knees and he was dying, in his dying breath he said, In the name of Christ, forbear. And as it goes, they say, silence came into the Colosseum. We needed this. And they say, it was stayed quiet for some time until one person stood up in the Colosseum and walked out. And he left the Colosseum. And then another, and then another. Until everybody left the Colosseum. The moral of the story is, never again was blood shed in the Colosseum after that day. Never again did the Roman Empire use gladiators for entertainment purposes because of what happened there. This tiny little monk that prayed and looked after his vegetables turned the tide of history for the Roman people. By obeying when Jesus called him to go to Rome, not knowing what he needed to do. But he stepped out on the calling that God gave him and he changed the world. And you want to tell me, we can't do it because it's not my personality. It was definitely not his personality. You can read this, you will find everywhere about this guy. You will see there's a lot of contradicting stuff also about this guy, where the world tries to make it not spiritual. You will always find that if you read about something, there will be the group that makes it non-spiritual. But the Roman Catholics still honor him for that today, in these days. 
St. Danemarcus. But he was willing to go when he was called. To leave everything, not knowing what he was going to do. He wasn't standing there thinking, oh, this is what I'm going to do. He was acting on what he believed. He knew what he was seeing is not what is right. And he acted on that. How many times do we see stuff that's not right and we just leave it because we don't want to get involved or anything like that? I'm talking about spiritual stuff now, not just normal stuff, stuff that we know. He's telling this to religious people, Jesus' story. The religious system struggles to, to understand these things, unfortunately, because they are so focused on what they are doing with their hands and their feet, but there's no relationship. There's no love. That's why they can't be at the wedding. There is no intimacy at the wedding. That's why the feast can't happen, because they're not intimate, there's no love. The Lord needs you to change the world one day, even now. I'm not saying you've got to go into ministry or anything, that where you are you must do it. It's got nothing to do with ministry. Only a few people should be in ministry. The rest should do ministry where they are. You're not going to change the world. He's going to change the world through you. But you need to be the one saying, like, Telemachus, I will go when he calls you. You will put on your garment of righteousness and walk in that. Allow Jesus to use you and make a difference in the world. I'm going to end off with a song. Just listen to the words of the song. It's a song Lani gave me. That song bugged me the whole time. And then I realized years ago I also had that song. And I'm talking about many years ago. I remember that song. It's an 80s classic, if I can call it that. It's not a Christian song. But I want you to look at the words of the song. And I want to leave you with that. Tonight when you're at home, think of what Marcus what he did. There's a wedding feast. Most people will not be there. Let's call a spade a spade. Most Christians will not be there. The ones that think they are maybe Christian, they are not because they're doing it the wrong way. They're doing it out of a religious way, just going to church because it's church. They don't say, Jesus is not their savior. They just go because of whatever reason they have, because they were brought up in that church system, or, but they've never met him. I'm not talking about hell here, eh? not going to hell. Remember this is, don't forget, this is a kingdom. It's not a place, going to hell or not. Alright? These religious people are going to heaven. Don't think that. They're not lost. They're just not the bride. I'm not talking heaven and hell here. They're just not going to be at the wedding feast. The song, we will, because of copyright, not put it on the video, but we will put the words on the video of the songs that they can, and the names so you can go and listen to it in your own time.